Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Great to have you in. We'll talk to City Councilor Joe Cressy, the outgoing City Councilor and Chair of the Board of Health. Got questions about vaccination definition, the booster plan that's going to be rolled out by the province, and whether the policy is altering at all. We know we've made some pivots when it comes to COVID and vaccinations. Uh, and Joe and I talk about the learn to live with factor um, that's now part of the common conversation. And we ask about the mandates for the city of Toronto. I think he gives a really important answer and contextualizes it. So that is on the show. Plus our uh, four for four quiz. It's great. Shiba Siddiqui leads that this morning. We got a lot on the show this morning. And I want to talk about the medical officer of health of Peterborough claiming that they are dismissing unvaccinated kids from classrooms. And I spoke to parents that said, yes, indeed, that's happening. Well, should it be? We get into that as well. And Brian Passifume on Jerry Diaz and what the latest is there. It's all on Toronto Today, and it starts now. Let me run this past you. You know that COVID is is pretty rampant right now. It's in a lot of places. There's no doubt about it. And uh, community spread translates to school spread. Okay, they sort of go hand in hand. They do. But this was uh, a tweet that the medical officer of health, Dr. Thomas Piggott, he got famous a few weeks ago. um, And some of these guys enjoy their fame. They like the fame. He got famous a few weeks ago when he was uh, biking with uh, like three masks on. And he's like, well, this is how you avoid COVID. I'm like, I know, but there's a lot of people right now attempting to avoid COVID and 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 I'm not sure that it's working. And here's how everything lands for me before I read his tweet. I know COVID is everywhere right now. I Right now, I don't know anyone who's um, sick. I don't. Um, I know people out with COVID. Like, I mean, like sick, sick. Like where they would have to go to the hospital. It doesn't mean people aren't going. Of course they are. I don't know anyone who's wearing masks to ride bikes around. But that's my peer group. Um so that's weird how that works itself out. I don't know anyone who's sick, and I don't know anyone who overutilizes masks. Weird, huh? Um, but I'm also not terribly interested in the vax status anymore of my friends. If they tell me, it's a conversation. And I don't have many friends texting me the results of their... of their. I know like people are putting tests on Twitter and saying, this was me, and I now I'm positive, and here's what I'm doing, and I made myself some soup, and here's a picture of the soup. I'm just not that much of a sharer. Dr. Thomas Pickett, though, likes to share. He says yesterday, here's what he tweets. Significant illness in schools due to COVID-19 is being detected here this week, and we are continuing to dismiss children who are not fully vaccinated. Hold up there. Let me read it to you again. Significant illness in schools due to COVID-19 is being detected here this week, and we are continuing to dismiss children who are not fully vaccinated. I'm not sure you're allowed to do that. I haven't seen guidelines suggesting that is the case, that you can either ask kids if they're vaccinated. You can't. If you can force test kids if they're vaccinated, you also can't. Now, if they fail the screening, which is all obviously a self, you know, check a bunch of boxes. We've all done that. We've all had to screen for work, screen for our kids, sports, screen for school, et cetera, et cetera. If you if you check the wrong box, they may ask you, you, you said you're feeling all these symptoms. Um, Yes, I am. Okay, well, then you can't be here. That's understandable. But you can't say if you're the medical officer of health, we're continuing to dismiss children who are not fully vaccinated. If your children haven't been vaccinated, it's not too late to catch up. That part's true. That's a fact. Uh, I strongly recommend all continue to wear masks. Okay, I guess you can do that, though you can't force it and you can't mandate it and you can't ostracize anyone who is it. That's not the game that we play now. 
He notes the risk of transmission remains high. He's right about this. So I think you can dismiss kids when they are symptomatic if you see uh, a scenario. I talked to a teacher last night, and I'm going to get to the parent issue in this district right now. But right away, like you tell me, tell me at text how that lands for you. 289-975-1640. Medical Officer of Health in Peterborough. Here's a sentence again. We are continuing to dismiss children who are not fully vaccinated. You can't do that. That's me saying that. I, I, you cannot do that. There's no, um, there's no guideline. There's no methodology. There's no legality, I think, that allows that. And I know that this is happening. I spoke to two parents last night who are adamant. One was so close to, to joining us and coming on the air. He wants to give it a day or two and think about it. His son just went back to school yesterday. By the way, let me make the point that that son, I know how kids can be uh, cruel to each other, especially probably in these heightened times. That son who's eight and in third grade went back to school yesterday and he was belittled and bullied and mocked because he had to go home because he wasn't vaccinated, a choice he can't possibly control. OK, um, and the dad knows that the dad knows that he's got specific reasons for not vaccinating his eight year old. Would I vaccinate vaccinate an eight year old? That's a private health affair, isn't it? Right now it is. I had to vaccinate older kids, chose to vaccinate older kids. Many kids had to be vaccinated to play sports over 12 when those vaccines were out there for 12 plus the five to 11 when they opened up in December that there was nothing that mandated that you that you do that if you're a parent. But you can't send kids home who aren't vaccinated. You can't do that. The message I got from a couple teachers about it, um, they agree that this is the, the bottom line of it. They agree the message is inflammatory by nature. If, if I was a medical officer of health and I, I thought, well, I left that out there and I'm not sure that that's being fully understood. We're sending symptomatic kids home who fail the screening. But that's not what he wrote. We're sending kids home who are cohorts or siblings of kids that have failed the screening also and have said, I'm suffer- I, I've tested positive for COVID. But that's not what he said. So I worry what he's done here is he's left it way too open for interpretation. He can send home a sibling of a positive case or the son or daughter of a sick parent. But there's an honor system here. If the kid asks and offers, fine, fine. But, you know, like we can't ask if someone's sick in your household. We can't start asking seven and eight year olds. Is mom or mommy or daddy sick? We sure can't ask if they're vaccinated or unvaccinated. We can't do that. We're not allowed to do that. Teachers know this. And the vast majority of teachers I spoke to last night, um, they, you know, it's amazing. You put something out and they reach out on mass. A lot of them listen to the show. They don't always agree with everything I say. What a world we would have if someone agreed with everything. I don't, I'm not sure I agree with everything I say. So it's amazing that an educator would. But Pickett leaves that out there to make parents think he'll send your unvaccinated kids home just because, well, cases are higher. That's not how this works. You have a responsibility. You have a platform. You have a, uh, a almost an honor, okay, to do the right thing. And obviously, doctors take a Hippocratic oath to, to do no harm. So I talked to two parents who said their kids were sent home on Thursday. Somehow, some way, Thursday counted as day one, Friday, day two, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. They were back in school yesterday. Um, so one parent had uh, had two kids that this happened to. Another had one. But we also cannot be sending kids home with runny noses. We can't be sending kids home with coughs in perpetuity. How will this be different 6, 12, 18 months from now? You know the answer and I know the answer. Smart people are well aware that not much is going to change about our current situation. 
We can bust our tails and other body parts to try and get the remaining 7 to 8% vaccinated. But it's fully vaccinated people that are getting infected and fully vaccinated people are having breakthrough cases and fully vaccinated people, or I should say people who have three shots, given there's such a, uh, a murky gray area about that definition. Um, we can we can do this forever in a day. Now, it's important to point out a teacher did know um, he's in a teacher in a school board that's close to that area. He's OK with people making their own choices. He's OK with kids without masks in school. He's telling me this. He doesn't know me from a hole in the ground, but he reached out to me last night and he said uh, parents are sending kids to school sick and they tell the teacher that they don't feel good. So then the parents are called. That's fine. That's the, but that's and that's happened since the beginning of time. Right. I've had I've had a call when I'm downtown. Hey, come back, come by and pick your son up. He says he's not feeling well. It's 11 in the morning. Fantastic. But I that's an honor system. There's a bit of a social contract there. And you drop what you're doing and you cancel your lunch. You don't go work out. You don't record an interview for the show the next day. And you get your ass over to that school and you pick your kid up. So parents do need to work and they can't always stay home to tend to a sick kid and they juggle and they and they bob and they weave and they do all those things. But that's not what the medical officer of health said he's doing. I'll remind you again what he said. Significant illness in schools due to COVID-19 is being detected here. We are continuing to dismiss children who are not fully vaccinated. If your children haven't been vaccinated, it's not too late to catch up. We got to get answers about this. This cannot be happening. You can't dis- you can't send unvaccinated kids home. We can't have these so-called split society and not for seven and eight year olds. It's what we've done has been bad enough documenting them as little disease vectors, little super spreaders. Imagine that eight year old, that eight year old's going to remember that day. I remember stuff like a laser beam uh, recall about when a teacher would make me feel bad or uh, or I had a great day and something amazing happened. The things from your youth get etched and burned and scarred into your memory. And uh, I feel like the medical officer of health for Peterborough owes an explanation as to whether he's advocating for this or not. If he's being misunderstood, super awesome. Tell everybody that you didn't explain it properly. But I do wonder whether indeed that's the case or not. This There's a reason. Like, there's a reason we play this clip from the movie Malice. There's a reason that we do. When someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees and they pray to God that their wife doesn't miscarry or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now, you go ahead and read your Bible, Dennis. You ask me if I have a God complex? Let me tell you something. I am God. A lot of dudes and dudettes drunk on power, drunk on the energy of all this. Is Tom at Piggott one? I don't know, but he owes an explanation. And I'd say this about Peterborough Public Health. Here's the tweet from Peterborough Public Health yesterday. Like the COVID-19 vaccines, good things come in threes. Residents now require three doses of the COVID-19 vaccine to be up to date with their COVID-19 vaccines. No, they don't. That's misinformation. You can advocate that they get that third dose. You can explain why a third dose is necessary. If my parents didn't have a third dose, I would tell them to get a third dose. But no one requires it. So that's not true. If something isn't true and you know it's not true, then it becomes a lie. If it's a misunderstanding, great. Clarify it. I'm all for clarifying misunderstandings. There's 17 and a half hours of live radio week. You think I get everything right? I don't. 
but I want to, I can't wait to clarify things I get wrong so it doesn't hang out there in the ether. You can do really important work if you work in public health, so send the proper message. Some people should get a third dose, but a 19-year-old with two doses who just had Omicron? No, 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 no. She or he especially doesn't need to rush in and get a third dose because it's quote-unquote required. That's not how any of this works. So let's chat with uh, the outgoing uh, city councillor uh, from the city of Toronto. He made that announcement. Well, he, he said it a while ago, but uh, now we know where he's going and he joins us now. He is Toronto City Councillor uh, Joe Cressy. It's great to have you on. All right. You asked for it. Who do you want the Raptors to play in the first round? Who's the, who's the easier? Who's the easiest mark of all the teams they could play? Oh, I mean, oh you're at- not ready for the time. See, no. it's tough. It's not it's not as easy as it looks, Joe. Oh, no, hey, listen, I, this is a team that could surprise people. It's good to be back in the playoffs. Um, I, I think Philly's my choice um, in terms of who we match up against. I know that is, given the season Joel has had, I think that's, um, that's a high order. But we've all, we, we match up well with Philly, um, mm-hmm. and it would be nice to go back against them after the, the heroics of 2019 um, and bring the city back to life as we come out of this pandemic. So, listen, I, I, they could surprise people, um, but it, it's been a fun season after last night. Good to have them back in the playoffs. I'll never forget that. So Sunday afternoon, I think people forget because we always talk about Kawhi's shot and we all know wow if we woke up the next morning and Philly had won that game seven and by the way I'll remind people Kyle Lowry had five fouls in that game going to overtime so that's not great um Kawhi makes that shot saves the day and people forget also they went down two nothing to Milwaukee but but remember this Philadelphia's up 2-1 in the series it's a Sunday afternoon game in Philly and we don't know if Pascal overtime triple right and we don't no, even no, no, know no. if Pascal Siakam can play in that game I remember being yeah. really nervous about getting knocked out in the second round and then when Kawhi Leonard leaves wow people are looking at Masai going wait a minute you traded DeMar DeRozan for a guy that got us two rounds totally different narrative thank goodness it didn't happen well and listen in you know in in sports I mean, you need a you need a strong team, but you also need a bit of luck, as we all know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the Leafs arguably could have could have won it all last year, um, and and I think, frankly, still could win it all this year. But it it's you need a bit of luck, and in that 2019 Raptors squad, um, you mentioned down two one to Philly, down two nothing to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, a, we needed some luck, and it was in our favor. And you know, good on Masai. You got to take risks if you're going to try and win it all. So, no, listen. Across the Toronto sports land, I think the Jays this year could really make some noise. Uh, the Leafs could we get that parade for the first time since '67? Oh, oh, oh. Maybe, maybe. And the Raptors. Listen, this is this is a wonderful story about a mm-hmm. team that has come together as a unit. So, no, listen. I'm feeling good as playoffs start. I watched, uh, I am too, I, I watched you um, with uh, Mayor Tory, and I, I loved what you said, and I think if we've learned anything the last two years, I hope we think we've got more, no matter where we stand on all these issues, I hope we think we got more in common than we do that's different, all of us collectively, and I love that you note it, w- it was sort of an unlikely alliance, but you worked together with him, pushed through issues, listened to each other. I played a clip earlier today, you'd laugh, Sean Penn going on Sean Hannity's show last night. A lot of people don't have time for Sean Hannity. 
Some people don't have time for Sean Penn, but they sat down, they talked about Ukraine and they said, Sean Penn said, I've never seen such national unity in Ukraine. We can imagine, right? You and I, uh, fathers, family men, what we would do to defend our household, what we do to defend our neighborhood if 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 asked. And I just I, I thought about that when uh, when when you said that about Mayor Tory, I'm like, we got to find similarities and listen to each other. Some of us, I'll call myself, so we, we haven't always done the best job of it in 25 months. Well, listen, I. I- I think we should all acknowledge that you know, when times are hardest and this pandemic experience has been brutal mm-hmm. for everyone, everyone. But when times are rough, um, it's easy to look for blame. It's easy to seek to, to take out our frustrations and our angst on others. And, and when bad decisions are made, we should call them out. But it's also when times are tough is the very moment when we need to rally together. And that's not a tagline. I'll tell you, in, in the experience of this pandemic, you know, Mayor Tory and I come from different political traditions. He's more right of center, I'm more left of center. But in, in an emergency, um, residents expect and politicians should and ought to work together. And Mayor Tory, to his great credit, I mean, he established what was essentially a wartime cabinet when this pandemic began two years ago. And and I've had a privilege to, to serve and lead it alongside him. But, you know, just as during a war, we rally together in a wartime cabinet model. During a pandemic, we should do the same. And, you know, it would be interesting to think of how you could do that at other orders of government, provincially and federally, too. Because, listen, a pandemic is hard. It's brutal. People want clear information. And they also want their, their elected representatives working together. Put the politics aside. So, mm-hmm. no, I, I'm grateful to Meritori for that, as I say. We, different generations, different political backgrounds. But he's a, he's a, he's a fundamentally decent guy, and, and we work together well. Well, he's going to love that different generation comment you didn't say two di- <laughs> you didn't say two different generations so that was uh, that's not quite there maybe a, a generation and a quarter uh we'll, we'll call it very res- it's a very respectful and endearing comment absolutely you. absolutely and you're, you're only as young as you feel uh, you know age is a number um i think it's important uh, for our listeners uh let's contextualize today the province will announce of uh, a, 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 a second booster plan, the federal government is you know, kind of dropping some breadcrumbs, if you will, about changing the, defini- the, the definition of, of who is fully vaccinated. And this is not without controversy, obviously, and it's not without, you know, proper nuanced debate about it. The city of Toronto's mandatory vaccination policy. What's your expectation of it going forward? We're seeing universities drop vaccination policies. We're seeing businesses drop it. What do you see in the short term and long term for the city? And and if the federal government redefines who is vaccinated and who isn't, does the city go alongside? What what do you expect? Well, in the city of Toronto, we have a mandatory vaccination policy for all of our city staff, more than 35,000 employees that they have to that all city staff for workplace safety uh, have to be fully vaccinated with, as the current definition, two doses. Mm-hmm. Um, if the def- if the formal advice and guidance from the feds and the provincial government change on that, then that's something we're going to have to look at. Listen, I, I think if I were to t- contextualize this a bit, um, you know, the, the, where we are today with COVID um, is very different than where we were two years ago or a year ago, because we now have we have tools to protect us in vaccinations, in uh, treatments that need to be more accessible. And so the choice right now, after two years of this, it's not do we simply accept that COVID's here and let it rip and be everywhere or do we lock mm. down again? No, that's not the choice. Rather, just like any infectious disease, and there are many, just like any infectious disease, we 
on a daily basis every year, we'll use all our term tools mm. to mitigate harm. So just like we do constant vaccination drives for kids for tetanus and measles, mumps, and rubella, and just like we do annual vaccination drives for the flu because it changes every year, we should anticipate that going forward, we will continue to have updated guidance, updated science around vaccines, and that's okay. That doesn't mean they're not working. It simply means we need more protection to continue to live with this virus around. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers are so patently obvious. They protect you from death and severe and severe illness, uh, you know, a lot of it is based on you, but the vaccines protect from that where we where we struggle to, um, you know, to maintain where we were is is not is we're getting more breakthrough cases. Clearly, that's the case from the hospital numbers. And you're probably hearing from people, too, that document and say, um, I'm 55 years old. Or let's say let's say you're 60 because that's where we're eligible. And we say get a booster. And someone says, well, I just recovered from Omicron. They're important questions to ask. They should be asking doctors. They should be asking specialists. And and guidance matters. Like guidance is going to the city's done phenomenal work in guiding, saying what's right for one may not be right for another in terms of a context like that. Well, and, and listen, I I can understand for for listeners and the public that um, it can be confusing and and frustrating that because when the vaccines were were first developed and we were dealing with previous versions of COVID, the vaccines were helping to prevent transmission. Absolutely. You got it. Like 10, 10, 10, 10, 15 times as much. Yeah. And so there was a hope, there was a genuine hope we all had and for many an expectation that once vaccines were provided and hopefully globally provided, that this would be done with, that it would stop transmission. Well, as the virus has changed, vaccines are incredibly effective at preventing against harm, but not as effective at preventing against transmission. So they're just as important, but they're especially important for people at higher risk, mm -hmm. those who are immunocompromised, those who are older. And so it's a, it, listen, this is a harder message to convey. Uh, you know, it's not get the vaccine and this whole pandemic's over. Rather, it's get the vaccine and especially get your booster if you are in yes. a higher risk group. But this is this is the jo this is the job in front of us. But this is also listen this, listen this is the core work of public health with any infectious disease. You know, there's been a lot of criticism of you know the line we need to learn to live with COVID. Well, learning to live with COVID doesn't mean we simply accept the negative harms from it. It means that while COVID is here, we do everything in our power to protect ourselves against it. And that may mean, based on the future, annual booster drives. It may mean fourth doses if you're of a certain age or yeah. risk group. Um, but the vaccines will keep you out of the ICU and they work. And that's what's going to allow us to live with COVID. That's the plan. That's the plan. Hey, uh, we're fresh out of time. I hope it's not our last chat. I wish you well uh, transitioning to George Brown College. Uh, you're in essence right next door to us here at Chorus Key. So I'm such an advocate of university life, community college life. I went to both. Um, I hope we get to chat about that and, and what your plans are at George Brown going forward. Thank you for always being generous with your time with our listeners as well. And, and for the honesty in the conversation. I loved it. You bet. Really appreciate it, Craig. Okay. You got it. All right. So can you make somebody go back to work if you're a business? Can you finally ask and say, let's go chop, chop. Um, everybody's different. I worked four weeks from home uh, when my wife was in China for Olympics. I didn't like it very much. I didn't feel like I was focused. I didn't feel like I did my best work. That's me. That's okay. 
If other people feel differently, cool, fantastic, cool, they lie. Um, Apple wants you back, though. And uh, uh, Apple <laughs> has actually run into uh, problems with their workers threatening to quit. They, they're only asking you to come back three days a week, okay? But people are saying, oh, the commute. Oh, we sit around for eight hours a day. Oh, I'm more productive at home. Oh, I have to wear proper pants. Okay, that one wasn't in there, but I just saw that slide that one in. John Pink is his partner and employment lawyer at Semfira Tumarkin LLP. And John uh, joins me right now. Wearing proper pants, I assume, John. Um, of course. Yeah, of course. It's this hour. Yeah, if it was 530 we, in the morning, we might have, when we start, we might have a different answer. We put ours on during the show itself. So this is an interesting one. Um, app, like It's a big company, and I think we're well aware that a lot of people feel differently about this. It's polarizing probably a lot of offices, like we don't have enough to disagree about. What's your thought on whether um, they can threaten to quit or whether Apple says, I'm sorry, you know, no come in, no job? Well, this takes me back to something that I often tell clients in situations where they're facing an uncomfortable situation at work or a bad boss or a new policy they don't like. Um, And this is a perfect example of the big difference between bad management, even abysmal management and illegal actions. So what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is an employer can do something that is terrible management that will put them at a terrible disadvantage uh, in the labor market that will upset their employees, which is not necessarily illegal. And this is one of those things. An employer can tell their employees who were working from the office prior to the pandemic, they can say, you you must come back. And from a legal perspective, there's very little the employees can do about that. And often often there's nothing they can do about that. Um, That doesn't mean it's a good idea. Uh, for the employers, it's often a horrible idea for employers to do that because they may lose, as, as we're seeing in the case of Apple, they may lose a large section of their workforce. Um, but from a legal perspective, it doesn't give rise to any remedies for those employees. Tim Cook notes in a note, uh, and he writes this uh, from Apple, um, for many of you, I know returning to the office represents a long-awaited milestone, a positive sign we can engage more fully with the colleagues who play such an important role in our lives. That's me. That's that's Team Brady. A lot of people might apply that to themselves. He writes, though, for others, it may also be an unsettling change. So, yeah, finding that happy medium um, is 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 tricky. Can can an employee say, well, under the guise of safety, could they present documentation that says this is why I'm potentially less safe? than others that would come back. So you got to let me do what I do at home. Uh, Well, I think that's going to be difficult for most employees to do. Um, Now, at the same time, there's there's a very curious contradiction uh, for many employers who are having uh, vaccine policies uh, requiring them as a a precondition to return to work, but at the same time requiring employees to return to work. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, there's going to be a real question, I think, as to whether safety is actually the objective uh, for those employers. But in terms of employees proving that going back to work is unsafe, you know, we saw that a lot during the pandemic where employees were anxious about going into the workplace because they didn't feel safe, just simply because of COVID. Um, and by and large, those health and safety complaints were dismissed by the ministry and those employees who refused to go back to work um, had resigned from their employment. 
It's a strange one, too, because as, as you know, we're waiting on guidance. I was mentioning it earlier in the hour or at the end of last hour. Uh, we're waiting on on a federal um, mandate adjustment here. I mean, the federal government's sort of putting down breadcrumbs to say there could be a reassessment of what fully vaccinated actually means. And, and we know there's great distinction about that. And there's also great distinction because of this Omicron wave that hit us. And I'd use the example that many listeners tell me that they say, Greg, I've got my two shots. I went through Omicron, recovered nicely. Um, I don't want my employer to ask me to get a third shot coming off uh, Omicron five, six weeks ago. And I listen to that and I share that with doctors and they're like, absolutely. You've got every right to question that. Right, right. Well, I, I think that they're um, the rationale behind many of the employer's uh, the vaccination policies that we're seeing is really falling apart at the seams, right yeah. now, especially in light of the comments by Dr. Moore um, and basically saying that this was not a requirement that we ever asked employers to do. And so for those same employers to now say, now we're going to require you to get a booster shot to maintain your employment. It's just less and less justifiable as you go down the road. Mm, it's a really interesting uh, issue. John, thanks for shedding some light on us. I really appreciate you coming on. I hope we get to chat again. Likewise, my pleasure. John Pink is partner employment lawyer at Samir, uh, Samfiru Tumark and LLP. But this Jerry Dias thing smells a little like the plot of Trading Places. A little bit, just a little bit. Dan Aykroyd plays Lewis Winthorpe III, who, who ends up taking money, but he doesn't take money. It's a weird setup here. This, this could be right out of the Netflix 10-episode series that'll involve Jerry Dias someday, allegedly. Uh, now, now, wait a minute. I've never seen this money before in my life. Randolph Mortimer, this is outrageous. What are you doing? I haven't done anything wrong. Oh, Winthorpe. I'm glad your parents are not alive to see this. What? what, no, what wait, now this is totally preposterous. This is insane. I have no reason to steal. Now wait, I'm not a thief. I, I demand a fair hearing. You can at least grant me that. Now, I have no proof, none, that Clarence Beeks has set Jerry Diaz up. I have no proof that this is about affecting the orange crop report from Florida to make the Duke brothers more millions of dollars. But I'm not saying it's not true. I don't think it, but I'm not saying I can rule it out. Brian Passifume from uh, the National Post uh, joins us right now. Um, we are building, we're building a case, not necessarily against uh, the former uniform, but we're building a case for some kind of Netflix special. We could do six episodes out of this. That we, we went from, I'm retiring. I'm retiring because I'm not well. I'm retiring because I'm not well and I'm being invested. I'm re we've got about seven different hurdles. This is like the 400 meter hurdles, right? We and, and you've got new stuff in the National Post about this now being a full on police investigation from the Toronto cops. Hey, good morning. And that, that is an interesting question about who would, who would play uh, Jerry Dias. <laughs> I've been, been racking my brain for the past 30 seconds trying to think of who would be the best. Colin Farrell, can he go right from Penguin in, in the Batman? to the? To, he was unrecognizable as the Penguin. I don't know. Well, you, you never know. You never know. You De Niro know. is De Niro too. I mean, he, he you know, he, he they use CGI to make him look younger in The Irishman. I mean, I fell asleep four or five different times, but I think that that's what they did. 
It's less about the looks and more about the charisma and the panache, I think. It's, I think it's the, the bigger issue. Anybody can put on a prosthetic, but nobody can just be the Jerry Diaz. So you, you write that the city's financial crimes unit is uh, is full on into this. And we're, we're a couple weeks removed. He's accused of accepting 50 grand from a COVID-19 rapid test supplier. But it does appear fairly obvious that a, a co-worker uh, turned him in when he tried to bring the co-worker into the uh, alleged uh, bribing scheme here. Yeah, this all started back in February. Uh, it was a tweet from Jerry Dyes' account that uh, announced that he had uh, some health issues and he was temporarily stepping down. Uh, a little over a month later, uh, there was a statement from uh, Unifor saying that uh, that he had retired um, and uh, it was uh, it was going to be permanent. And then all that uh, kind of uh, ended on the 23rd of uh, March when it was announced that uh, he was... Uh, being accused of some financial impropriety, and you're exactly right. What uh, what he's accused of, and he has he has not been convicted, or he has not been uh, had the chance to defend himself. But uh, what the union is saying is that uh, he accepted a fifty thousand dollar payout from uh, a manufacturer of a COVID nineteen rapid supply uh, test, and these are the same tests that he was allegedly hawking to, uh, to to union members' employers. And um, he got caught because uh, allegedly the uh, complaint was filed by an employee that he uh, allegedly offered to share the money with. He offered to offered half the money to a kind of a uniform employee. We we don't know the details of how exactly that transpired, but that's what uh, that, that's what he's accused of. And yesterday, the latest news was that uh, Toronto police are, are have opened an investigation. Brian Passfumes, our guest on Toronto today on six forty Toronto. Um, now, Unifor won't name who the test supplier was, but I feel like, Brian, with the with the police involved, we're going to get that knowledge sooner rather than later. See, and and, that, and that's the thing with the police investigation. Before before the police were involved, this was an entirely an internal thing with the union, so they could uh, they could they can keep things as uh, anonymous or quiet as they like. But but you're right. If if, if charges are laid, and he hasn't been charged with anything, no, I just want no. to make sure that's clear. But uh, you know, if he does end up facing charges then, then everything becomes a matter of public record um so there's been a lot of uh, questions about which uh which uh which 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 company um is accused of this and uh i've had uh, i feel a lot of very interesting uh suggestions in my email overnight but uh yeah there, there's been no definite word about who the supplier is um well can you walk us into uh your email box and and, and again unions are tricky and i ask that only because unions are tricky even when we're talking about education issues i can't tell you the amount of even talking about this peterborough medical officer of health last night people are like don't use my name don't say what class i teach but here's what i see i don't want to get in trouble with the teachers union i'm sure unifor is no different there's people that say look we're good people here the union serves our purpose but we're real um you, you were real hesitant to speak publicly about it and, and be seen as criticizing it yeah we, we don't know the circumstances either like it's you know, it, it, the first thing for someone to assume is that this came right from the, this company's board of directors that uh, he was given a, a corporate check cut that morning by accounts payable but you know in reality you know just as we're spitballing here that you know this could be just a rogue employee in that company and uh, you know i think uniform's playing it right by uh, not naming the company if they don't have to because you know who wants to get sued mm-hmm. but yeah like you said once you know if, if charges are laid uh, we will definitely get a lot more information about what uh, about what happened here and what brought the uh, what brought uh, what brought Jerry down. Uh, you're noting in your uh, report that the union wanted uh, Dias to help with the investigation. Dias declines on the advice of his physician. 
look, there's, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of middle ground here. There's going to be actually people that have that empathy that, that say, um, you know, if you're in a substance abuse treatment facility, then you're there. Now I'd say, you know, we're all talking about Tiger Woods right now. Tiger Woods went into a treatment facility for quote unquote sex addiction. And a lot of us, I'm sorry, rolled our eyes a little bit thinking, oh, I don't know. Like you just might've been able to, you were in a bit, you should have been a guy that didn't get married and have kids. You should have been Derek Jeter. Like this could all have been solved. So I'm sure there's some added skepticism and it's tough, right? Because if you're there, you're there. Um, but I'm sure there's going to be Jerry Dice has to say something about all this at some point in time. Right. I, I have I have no absolutely no information on whether or not he's actually guilty or not or he did it or not. No. Framed of that. But one of the things that he mentioned is that he uh, he's, he, he's going into he said he was going into a residential treatment program because he was self-medicating uh, about a sciatica with uh, with, uh, with with alcohol, painkillers and uh and uh, and other things. Anybody who's ever had sciatica, I, I've 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 had sciatica a few times. And if what he's saying is true, like anybody who's anybody who's gone through sciatica knows it's it's, it's living hell. You Tremendously just painful rip, uh, rip condition. Pains out of your legs. So you know it it, it definitely is a painful condition. And it, somebody who's been through it, and um, you know I'm, I'm willing to take him at his word that uh, he was so desperate to get out of the pain that he did what he did. But uh, at the same time, you know it's um, I, I think it's not safe for anybody to draw conclusions until. Uh, court of law has uh, has had a chance to make a ruling, assuming he even gets charged. Do you see the police as having a timeline here? Uh, sometimes these things can take forever. They can. Uh, the wheels of justice move a lot quicker than uh, people who are used to watching Law and Order believe. Uh, you know, sometimes criminal charges take years to get laid. Um, so yeah, anybody hoping for a quick resolution is probably out of luck. These sorts, these sorts of investigations, especially when you're dealing with. Uh, Crimes like fraud and stuff with paperwork and, and things like that. You know, they, they don't get quickly. So I think this is a story that uh, we're definitely going to be seeing a lot of um, come together this year, maybe even the next year. And we don't know, do we? Last thing for you, Brian. We don't know if Unifor went to the cops and said, "We want this." You know, we want to know more. And you're the you're obviously the law and order body, and and you can help us. Or we don't know if police stepped in and said, "Hey, obviously there's there's whispers and and." Um, suspicion that uh, an actual crime took place to take that amount of money uh, amounts to a crime if indeed that was committed we don't know which you know who who, who sort of picked up the phone first in this case the union or the police mm-hmm. and that's and that's another question probably won't get answered until uh, until things go to trial brian Pasfium, national post thanks for your work on this and thanks for coming on the show i always appreciate it Anytime. Have a great day, sir. Uh, you bet. You bet. Um, I'm noticing this, by the way, um, and not that it's uh, it, it is not covid centric per se, but maybe you've spotted what's happening in Shanghai, China. Maybe you have. Um, yesterday, Shanghai defended uh, separating babies and young kids from their parents. You've seen some of the video. You're you're we're right back to the March 2020 playbook in Shanghai, China. Twenty five million people there and they are locked down. And uh, it is. You think about all the things on television you can't turn away from right now. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not sorry. I was about to say I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. This is one of them. It's remarkably awful um, to see children who test positive, family members do not, and they keep the kid. If the child is younger than uh, Wu Qianyu is an official from the Shanghai Municipal Health Commission, okay, if the child is younger than seven years, those children will receive treatment in a public health center. They take the kids. They take the kids. 
Older children or teenagers mainly isolating them in centralized quarantine places. Now, I find this really interesting that a couple countries have spoken up about this, but not us. French and British envoys raise concern about practice in Shanghai as the city tries to stop the spread of coronavirus. There's no privacy. There's no sanitation at these mobile hospitals. That's what the British letter says. Where are we? I know Canada tends to follow as opposed to lead in these circumstances. Where are we on this? And as importantly, a lot of loud doctors out there, a lot of loud doctors talk about long COVID, which is real. Absolutely. It is talk about what, what they, you know, whether we should have masks on in grocery stores, talk about this, talk about that. Love for them to tweet about that. I mean, you know, like among your 40 tweets later today, maybe a lot of these loud doctors can talk about this and how wrong it is and how the looniness of attempting to eradicate this virus. And a lot of our authoritarian principles have been grafted from what China was doing in the first three or four months. You know that this is true. The idea that you would put an eight year old in his bedroom and leave food out for him post vaccination, post vaccination, critically enough that you would do that, that you would separate from your kids. You would make your four or five year old with a positive test the least harmed demographic there is when it comes to COVID always has been and almost certainly always will be um, China. China kind of influenced how some people and some policymakers wanted us to operate It's true. Some people looked admirably at what China has done regarding COVID needs to be documented a little more than we've done it so far. Our next guest uh, is looking to implement a four-day work week. Um, he handles policy, strategy, and research and analysis. That's a lot. That's a lot uh, for uh, fourdayworkweek.co.uk. Adrian McMahon is our guest. Let's talk a little bit about this. The UK is going to go into a pilot project. Many European countries are where a lot of businesses are going to road test this for six months, and it starts in June. Um, what's the perspective and, and how are people uh, feeling about it knowing this is coming? It's something that's building. There's a lot of momentum that we've been seeing in, in not just recent months, but recent years. And I think COVID has played a big part in, in allowing us to see and, and a different way of working and to reshape the world of work. Um, and you're right that it does work uh, more obviously for some industries over others. But our campaign is, is aiming for all workers to, uh, to be able to achieve a reduced working week. And that's part of the challenge over the coming years is to, is to find out how do we do it across different sectors to make sure that both workers and employers are, are winning. So, and I know the concept, because uh, the first thing I think employees think is, oh boy, if I go from five days to four days, it, does this make me um, not necessarily job insecure, but financially insecure? Does the boss, does the corporation look for a way to cut my pay, even if it isn't 20%, but the concept is an earlier start and a slightly later finish. Like I'm seeing nine and a half hour days being sort of, you know, the, the concept of, of the reform for nine and a half hour work days. And then you jam it in tighter into a Monday, Thursday or a, or a Tuesday, Friday. And then you've got four longer days with that third day off. Uh, so, some companies have done that, but we don't actually advocate for that. We're advocating for the same amount of hours, but one less day. So generally that comes out to sort of 40 hours down to 32 or something along those lines. So a nine to five still rather than 
any longer version of the day. We, we believe that the gains to be made here are really in allowing workers to have proper rest and to really get a better balance between their work hours and the life they have outside of work. So compressing hours into four days isn't necessarily the solution. Yeah, that's that struck me as a very long day. And it, it of course, it depends on the age, on the job. And, and Adrian, it depends on the commute also. I, I'm somebody that loves the drive in. I think about the radio show, what we're going to do on it. I love being in the studio. I love seeing faces. But I get that for not, as we found out the last two years, there's a lot of jobs that employers say, listen, I've noticed you be more productive. You're less worn out from the commute. Come in once in a while, but if you can get done what you what you can do at home and, and nothing is compromised, stay at home and do it. Absolutely. And, and a big part of, of what we've found out through COVID is that employers who trust their workers to get the job done, they will be repaid. And those workers can get the job done, whether they're at home for half the week or three quarters of the week. And what we're finding is if they do that job in four days rather than five, they will still get the job done. But the, the days of having to do nine to five, Monday to Friday, chain to your office desk, they're over. We're, we're overdue an update to how that sort of world has been constructed. It was almost 100 years ago mm-hmm. that we sort of set up that five-day week uh, system. And, you know, we've found in recent years that there are better ways to do this. Are there companies already, Adrian, that have looked and it's not a trial, it's not it's not sort of a, a probationary period to look at this? Are the, Do we have real-world data, maybe even pre-pandemic, in other countries and other, on other continents that we look in and say, this is the model that we can utilize going forward for a lot of occupations? We do, and, and a lot of them are around the world, as you say. Uh, I can speak from the UK experience that we have around 75 businesses that we've accredited as doing a four-day week. Um, and we, we judge that either by a gold standard of 32 hours or, or a silver standard of 35 hours a week in four days. So there's already sort of 75 uh, companies doing it in the UK. There's numerous more around the world, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Um, you know, there are real-world examples. And as you say, they, they were doing it before COVID as well. It was it was starting to gain momentum before COVID. Uh, it's just something that has sort of kicked on a lot in the last couple of years. Adrian McMahon is our guest, um, of course, uh, joining us. He's a campaign officer for the four-day week. Is there a link between people that want and embrace the four-day work week and also the work from home, Adrian? Or And what what I mean by that is, are they, are they different parameters? I could see somebody saying, I love the four-day work week. I can get more done. I can be productive, but I still want to come in, and I still want that camaraderie and, and, and to see faces. and to you, you, People are tired sometimes of, of Zoom calls, and they're tired of you know getting their email box full. They want to have an, a person-to-person conversation in their office and in their workspace. Yeah, they're, they're connected issues, but they're not one and the same. So you, you will find people who find that they can work just as well from home, um, who will then also say and, and prove that they can work just as well in four days versus five. But a lot, as we know, with the, the working from home uh, phenomenon, that a lot of workers can't do that. Um, I think it's more than half of, of workers still have to go to a place of, of work to, to get their job done. So it is a different issue, and we're advocating for 100% of workers to have reduced time. So um, while, you know, personally, I appreciate the the uh, working from home 
idea, and I love it in terms of my style of work, but it's not appropriate for everyone. But we believe that everyone deserves reduced time so mm-hmm. they can live a happier, more fulfilled life, uh, having proper rest, enjoying their leisure, getting that life admin done that a lot of workers right now are just finding that they're, they're so overworked that they're finding little time to do those other things that are important in life. Those are such good points. They, they really are. And, and I think they speak to a lot of our listeners. The one thing I, I look at and I say, well, embracing all that, I do think we all probably grew up with parents who left the house and went to work and, and did this. And, and yet you took that sense of pride that they took that sense of pride. And you can still be prideful working from home. I think, I think Adrian, there's a, a divide might be people who've done what they've done for 20, 25, 30 years who say enough of the grind, enough of trying to find a parking spot and the commute and all that. But I think we want that for our kids to some extent. Like I, I've got a 16-year-old, my oldest, and I think I, I don't know if I want him working from a bedroom or a kitchen table or a dining room table from the time he's like 25 till he's 45. Because you go out there and you, you meet people. I think you evolve who you are as a person sometimes. But again, there's that balance, right? How, do, how could we do it by still trying to have the best of both worlds? Yeah, I think that, that there's a lot to be said for having a secure job and one that uh, gives you sort of motivation and enthusiasm and is a, is a central part of a lot of people's lives, that the work they do, and that, that's important to a lot of people. Um, but there are other things in life to do as well, and it's all about getting that balance right. And I think at the moment the balance is, is off. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are spending too much time in their week working, and we want to see work as a part of life that is in good balance alongside those other aspects, uh, whether it's spending more time with your family or or taking on different sort of training um, elements that might help you with your career later down the track. There's, there's lots of different ways we can spend our time. We just need more of it than we're getting at the moment. You bring up such a good point because I think about the people that are really important in our society, whether they're doctors or nurses or they work in law enforcement, and, and you probably know people that do those things like I do, our listeners do, and they work 12, 14-hour shifts, and you're like, "Are we? <laughs> who came up with that idea? And in what, in what century was that a good thing for somebody who's, who's a surgeon to work for 14 straight hours or a cop to make the best decisions if, if he or she is working 12-hour shifts six days in a row? It, it is weird. We do have our balance really, really off, off, the, you know, off, off kilter a little bit on those kind of calls, and we've just stuck with them decade after decade. Yeah, it's crazy. And who wants a, a surgeon operating on them who's in their 14th hour of the day? It's a it's a scary proposition, especially when you look at jobs like that that are life and death. Um, and and too too often the people who work in in our hospitals are overworked, they're mm-hmm. stressed. And what that also does is it makes them quit. They leave, and so they take that experience out the door with them. And then the remaining staff who are perhaps more junior, um, but are then stretched because you know, that colleague has left the building. And so it just becomes this sort of vicious spiral where like, there's never enough workers in the hospital who are able to sort of, in a confident and relaxed manner, get their job done properly. They're sort of always stretched from, from pillar to post. And, you know, that's not good for them. But when, when we think about ourselves going into that hospital, um, that's not good for us either. No, no. Now, nobody likes my idea here, Adrian, that it's Wednesday is the day off. Everybody hates that idea. They want a three-day weekend. They don't want that time off in between. But Wednesday's a great day just to relax. We call it a hump day for a reason, right, in North America? Yeah, yeah. And, and 
we call that uh, hump day where I'm from in Australia too, <laughs> and over here in the UK they do as well. I, look, you, you're not uh, you're not on your own, Greg. <laughs> Mondays and Fridays, I, I think Friday's the most popular. Uh, there was a recent survey in, in the UK that showed that Friday's the most popular. Monday is a close second, but Wednesday is, um, you know, does have a lot of people's uh, attention as, you know, I think one, one person said that um, if you take a Wednesday off, then you're never more than one day away from having a day off. Mm. If that, that makes sense. That's a, that does that makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. Adrian, it's a great pleasure to make your acquaintance. Thanks very much for making the time for our show. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Okay, time for our uh, four for four quiz. I won't lie. I was talking with a, a, a educator last night uh, that always enjoys the quiz. She says it's the best part of the show. Oh, oh, wow. wait a second. I, so there's somebody <laughs> again, like my famous statement. There's somebody out there for everybody. There's a segment out there for everybody. Apparently on Toronto today. Do we do more of it? Should we make it go longer? I hope she really likes quizzes, and that's not a reflection on the rest of the show. I think she likes when we get the answers wrong more than uh, more than right, <laughs> uh, which I, I think I had an 0 for 4. Uh, Diana, what is she right here? Um, uh, have, a, have a great night. By the way, the 4 for 4 quiz segments are the best part of the show. Makes me laugh every time. I'm like, well, the news anchor's pretty cool. Gord Gord spins the <laughs> spins the tunes and yeah. and I have a lot of bad takes and Sheba corrects those bad t- like I, there's See? a lot of different parts to the show yeah. besides the quiz. But thank you, Diana. Well, today is National Tartan Day. Ah, Ooh. yes. So in, in 2010, the Minister of Canadian Heritage, who was James Moore at the time, officially declared April 6th as Tartan Day. And it's celebrated on April 6th because it's the anniversary of the Scottish Declaration of Independence. So let's get into it, guys. Okay. I'm wearing a kilt right now. I'm ready to go. (laughs) There's a kilt question coming up. Good. (laughs) True or false? Every single Canadian province and territory has their own tartan. Greg. No, I think that's false. Dave. Yeah, I'm going to go with false. There's no way Quebec is going to have a tartan. Yeah. <laughs> Gord. I was going to say true until you said Quebec, so I'm going to say false. <laughs> Guys, this is true. What? Yeah, there are, because there are so many Scottish settlers in Canada that every single province and territory has their own tartan. So huh. do, 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 is there a different? So they're all different colors. There's no two yes. that are the exact same? No, they're different. They're all different. How interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, number two. The largest international importer of tartan outside of Scotland is Canada, Japan, or England. Dave. Oh, I'm going to go with Canada on that one then. Gord. Yeah, I'm going to go with Canada. <laughs> <laughs> he said confidently. I was, was going to say Japan, but I'm going to stay stay with Canada. I Greg. just, I mean, Japan's got like what four times as many people as we do. They, yeah. it must be. I know. Remember, they're not, not as many Scots uh, with Scottish no. heritage, and the English don't like the Scots, no, and the no, Scots it, don't it, like the English. Yeah, no, that's, that's oil and I've water seen, right there. I've seen train spotting yeah. and yeah. Braveheart. And we have a new, new Scotland. Oh, that's true, too. Uh, I say Japan. I'm going out on a limb right. here. Okay, Greg's right. It's oh, Japan. Oh, I knew it. Tartan, it's a staple of Japanese street and runway fashion, and there's a designer named Jun Takahashi who once had models strut down the runway painted from head to toe in plaid. Really? It's really, it's really big in Japan. Yes, you got to keep her out for more plaid in Japan. Though. Yeah, it's true. We didn't know that. <laughs> I do love good plaid though. Oh yeah, a great plaid. Yeah. It Can goes you go with pants way. though? I feel, I want to do oh, pants are. more often than the tops. Aren't they called trues? The what? tartan pants? I think they're called oh. trues. Okay. 
Mm. It's a, it's a little bit. Uh, so are you, doing, is this a, are you, are you hijacking the Chiba's quiz today? Is that a true? <laughs> no, this is great information. He, this okay, great he, information. all right. He just stated a fact. He didn't ask a question. Do you have a pair, Gord? No, I don't. Okay. I do have a few kilts of my dad's, though. Oh, you do. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay, third question: True or false? Tartan is originally a French word. Gord. True. Greg. I think you're trying to fool me because all I, and uh, part for the course, I, I think you're making me think of tartar sauce yeah. with <laughs> fish and chips, and I want some of those right well, now because I just said it. it out loud. I think you're trying to fool me, so I'd say no. False. Dave. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say no, too. So I'm going to go with false. Gord's right. It's true. Uh, oh, tartan. Tartan. It stems from the French word tartan. Yeah, tartan, whose roots are in tire. Tire means pull. So Why would you want to pull? But it's a dress, isn't it? Like that. <laughs> it's not a dress. <laughs> okay, it's not a dress. It's not it's a, a dress. Ro- no. Roddy Piper didn't wear yeah, a dress to the room. Right. Don't right. you? Di- oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Many famous men have been photographed wearing kilts. Which one False. of the fo- <laughs> <laughs> Well, which one of the following men hates wearing a kilt and oh. often refuses? Will Smith, don't know who this is, but Will Smith, <laughs> Prince William, or Sir Sean Connery? Dave. I'm going to say sure, Sir Sean Con- No, he's, he's had a whole bunch. I'm Will Smith. Gord. Prince William. Craig. Yeah, Prince William. Prince William. Yeah, you got it. It's Prince William. Nah. Okay. He wore a lot of them as a child when he was forced to, but as an adult, he's very—he's absolutely reluctant about wearing kilts. Sir Sean loves wearing kilts. Yeah, we've seen him in many pictures. Yeah. And Will Smith dons a kilt every St. Patrick's Day. At least he used to. Really? Prior to the Oscars, because he has a huge St. Patrick's party. Are you saying he slaps it on? <laughs> hey, oh, <laughs> great job, guys! <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Toronto today. We're back with a live show tomorrow on Thursday. April 7th, Tiger Woods will, it looks like, be playing in the Masters at Augusta. So a lot of drama and anticipation for that. One of the world's world's most recognizable people, let alone athletes. And uh, less than a year after what could have been a terrible, terrible outcome with the car accident that he suffered uh, in the spring of 2021. All that, much, much more. Uh, you can hear us live on the Radio Player Canada app and at 640toronto.com.